Welcome to the DadWork Podcast. My name is Kurt Storing, your host and the founder of DadWork. Welcome to episode number 46, Long Distance Fatherhood and Being a Dad Without Borders with my guest, Blue Nethercliffe. We go deep today talking about co-parenting when your child lives overseas, how Blue develops a secure attachment with his son living halfway around the world, consistency with your child and being open with your feelings, learning to let go and trusting the process leaning towards gratitude as opposed to anger and frustration, finding practices that will help you stay grounded, and the power of your own thoughts. Blue is a father to two young boys, with another baby boy on the way. He went through a difficult breakup with his first wife, but Blue has remained positive and become resilient by parenting creatively to maintain a strong connection and close bond with his son that lives overseas while raising his young family with his beloved wife, Sage. From taking up skateboarding at age 45 to FaceTime dance parties, from recording bedtime stories as audio files to online photo albums, and tracking his son's calendar at school so he knows what's happening each week, he is an engaged and resilient long-distance parent and full-time dad. Blue is now using his podcast, Dad Without Borders, to shed light on the positive aspects of being a dad on the shitty side of a breakup with kids, while chatting to dads about their challenges, all with a positive spin and professional feedback from his inner circle of professionals. Blue works to expose dads as often being undervalued and overlooked, and an integral part of any child's life as we move into a new era of fatherhood. Blue immigrated to Canada in the early 2000s as an entrepreneur with an adventure tourism company. He has over 20 years of experience working in outdoor education as an instructor, guide, and facilitator. When he became a father, he shifted gears to focus on his family and has recently worked as a career facilitator and coach. Currently, he works for Live at Earth, an online educational platform developed to connect kids with nature through a blended learning program. You can find Blue online, listen to his podcast at dadwithoutborders.com, or find him on Instagram at dadwithoutborders. I know that was a bit of a long intro, but I wanted to read that for you because this is such an incredible story. I am not sure I've ever heard of a situation quite like Blue's when it comes to the difficulty of co-parenting. This is next level, and the fact that he talks about developing secure attachment and the dedication that he has to actually being there for his son, even when he's not able to do that physically is just remarkable. I was so inspired by the care, attention, and energy that he puts into fatherhood. And I think you'll get a lot out of this episode. This was a wide-ranging episode. It talks a lot about how Blue manages to maintain resilience and gratitude throughout a process that is incredibly difficult. And I'm just so grateful that he shared this with us. So with that being said, we're going to dive in now to episode 46 with Blue Nethercliffe. I'm here with Blue Nethercleft with Dad Without Borders. And man, I am super pumped about this because I keep getting, like I said before, guys asking me like, can we talk about single parenting? Can we talk about you know co-parenting, what it's like to go through separation? And it's like, okay, let's talk about that with Blue. And then let's throw in this like monkey wrench of parenting across the ocean. So man, I am very grateful that you spent the time to be here with me today. And I just want to get a sense of like, what the hell is this all about, man? Why are you doing this? What does your life look like? And what are the challenges that you deal with daily? Can you like maybe give us like a quick walkthrough of how this all came about? You mean the podcast or just how I got to this stage with a family and your whole podcast. family? Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to leave it like somewhat open so you can interpret how you want. But I want to know like, what was the story to become the dad without borders? Like, why is this a thing for you? And then we'll get into like how to navigate it. But I just want to hear like what your life looks like. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So we're living in a remote part of British Columbia. So we're sort of tucked away here in the mountains, sort of seven hours east of 
Vancouver, so cl- close to the Rockies. And I've been here sort of skiing in the winters um, and based in BC since around 2004. So yeah, so slowly sort of spending more and more time here to the point I was ready to settle. And then I had a partner, well, I rekindled an old flame um, in the UK and she came over here to be with me in 2012. Uh, we had, we conceived a baby and we got married, but then the relationship fell apart. And so we ended up going into this space of co-parenting, which was actually really great. I've often joked to people that co-parenting is kind of the best situation in a way because you get to have your life half the time and then the half time gets to be a dad. But having said that, there are some challenges to that, which is another topic. So that's kind of that was the situation for a couple of years. So I ended up becoming a single dad, a co-parenting and really successfully. Our kid was really thriving for a couple of years. But then the mum wanted to go back to the UK and I I just couldn't bear for him to go. And so I, I just couldn't. You know, it was kind of a messy situation, unfortunately. So we were in and out of court for about two years. And that brought me to then, I sometimes say losing custody, but really what happened is she was granted full custody so she could move with him to the UK. So he was at that point almost five years old. So yeah, so I, you know, after a couple of years of being on my own and it was kind of in the middle, I guess, of like figuring out what was going to happen with the custody issues, I fell in love with this amazing woman and we have an incredible relationship. And so we decided to have a family, start a family. Um, She's a bit younger than me and we were just like, we felt like it was right for us. Um, And we've been through so much and she was an amazing support. And I honestly think that love from her is really what helped keep me on an even keel. And so we had another child, um, unfortunately, you know, my, my eldest boy at this point. And then afterwards, we lost custody, or I lost custody and he moved away. So then I was faced with, oh my God, I've got this amazing partner, wife, who we got married, so wife here, and new child, and I've got a child over you know, overseas, you know, it seems like an impossible situation. So that's that's the that's sort of that sets it up yeah without going into the nitty-gritty of what i was doing for work and like how i was sort of navigating becoming a dad and things which is a whole other you know another piece of the pie Mm -hmm. but that sort of set the scene so at this point we now have another me and my wife here we have another child on the way so he's going to be due may another plan both planned um i would say as well it's not always the case but both were planned. There was a lot of desire for my first boy too, I should say. And then these other two very much were, but it was a bit of a surprise. And these two have definitely been planned. And yeah, I kind of, yeah, it's a crazy situation, but and I'm sure you got more questions to throw in here, but I just, this little, for my little setup here, I will just say when I was faced with my child moving overseas, I went to see a family attachment specialist, been in the business for over 20 years. She's got really, really good reputation. She's fantastic. And I worked with with her. I had like just the one session, actually. I went a few times, but the first session, she got me really, really hopeful because she said, you know what? You can have a secure attachment with your child, even though he's overseas. He might not even have a secure attachment with his mum. You do want that. But she, you know, it's possible for you to have a secure attachment and him not to have a secure attachment with his mom. And I was like, that's crazy. How do I do this? So I realized then I was like, okay, game on. I'm going to do this. Like, I am not going to give up. I fought hard for two years and I would encourage anyone to avoid court 100%. And I've, yeah, so I would definitely uh, encourage to avoid that. That was really seeking professional advice. And maybe we should have done that right at the beginning when she decided to leave. We didn't. We kind of went, lawyers got involved and other people got involved. So it got messy. But yeah, that's the sort of situation. So two kids here, settled, stable work, 
both of us have really good jobs here where we are and we have regular visitation with um, my kid who is in the UK and it just happens he has COVID right now so actually his flight is delayed but he should be coming here for Christmas but yeah that's I'll throw it back to you because yeah there's so much to this story there's so many layers to it I don't want to get anybody super confused so yeah no that's that's amazing man thank you for going there and I'm just like I've got questions about how the hell you navigate that, like feeling wise, because I can't imagine like just this, I don't know, pain, I guess. Um, and I want to get into that, but let's dive into the secure attachment without being around. Because I talk about this a lot. I love the book, The Power of Showing Up by Dr. Dan Siegel. He talks about the four S's for secure attachment, which are making sure your kids feel safe, seen, soothed, and secure. And how do you do this? If you're not like there with your son, because I've seen some of the stuff you posted, like I see some of your FaceTimes and like your skateboarding and like all this amazing stuff with him. And how do you navigate that? Like what can you just walk us through some of the things you do on a day to day basis and like how that's actually showing up in the real world? Yeah, for sure. Um, it's been a sort of gradual process. So straight off the bat, I bought him a and I wouldn't usually do this for a kid so young, but at the age of I guess four and a half, he was nearly five by the time when I bought him an iPad. Oh, it wasn't an iPad the first time, it was a tablet. And so I bought him a tablet, I set him up with um, like a, a Gmail, gave him an app, it's a family controlled um, Apple ID, so he has iMessage. So just ways that I could, well, it started with me sending him, sending him regular pictures and videos of myself, just checking in. So, hey buddy, it's raining today, this is what I'm gonna be doing with the day, and da 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 out walking the dog and just you know, so he knew where I was at, what I was doing and sort of feeling like he was a part of my life in that way. So he was up to date with everything going on. So those would be emailed. Now in the quite a while, I guess, originally he couldn't read. So what he's doing is relying on his mom and I have to go through his mom and, you know, ask her to read the messages out to him. Um, so that was early on. And then daily Skyping. It's now FaceTime because he's got an Apple ID. Um, so for the first couple of years, he had his own tablet, but then I bought him an iPad and set him up with the Apple ID, which gave him FaceTime, which means I could navigate, well, I could get, it sounds bad to say get around his mom. I don't mean it like that because I, I always asked her to be in control of the iPad, but I can directly message him and he feels like he's got that direct contact, that direct link. And that was really good. So the daily contact is huge. And it sounds weird and it isn't ideal, but it's just, it's a way of being consistent. So there's consistency there. He's hearing from me regularly. I get to be updated by how he's feeling in the day. Now, here's a positive about that. You can't avoid, like me and you talking right now, um, I tend to look away when I'm talking because I'm kind of, my imagination's kind of spinning and I'm, you know, getting the visuals and remembering things. But we're still here, right? We're engaged. You can't avoid it. Whereas you're with your kid on a day-to-day -day basis. It's easy just to be feeding them dinner. You're busy. You come home late. You're tired. Maybe you read them a book. You sit them down. But I'm engaged in him in a way that me and my parents weren't because from a very young age, I'm there. I'm attentive. I'm asking him questions. He's not always going to share everything, but he's, you know, there is an, there is an intensity to that conversation that on, on FaceTime in a way that might not happen in that, yeah, in the just the daily day day-to-day -day schedule so that works really well other little things i do like he can read to me i can read to him so he he couldn't read initially but i could read him books at bedtime and stuff so the timing in some ways works like so i've had to be flexible with work and sometimes i have to run out of the room and <laughs> chat to him if i'm in an office working but yeah he's sort of going to bed at the time where it's like mid-morning here you know, up to lunchtime. So if I can find a gap, and I've always made sure I can, then I can check in with them at bedtime, which is really nice. 
Those, so those are some sort of immediate things. It's just like that basically online technology. Then it's sending him stuff. It's things like giving him one of my t-shirts that, um, that smells of me, not like smells of me after I've taken a run in that t-shirt, like getting, so the point where it's getting nasty, but just that <laughs> familiar smell, you know? Yeah. So that's the thing. So he can have that. I have a stuffy and those familiar kind of objects, transitional objects, transitional objects being things like a stuffy that's familiar to him that, you know, is special and makes him remember us because it's the stuffy that I gave him or it may be, but certain items like that kind of help as well. The t-shirt thing. I mean, there's loads of little things, but I think consistency showing up and being very open with my feelings as well. So, and there's things that he he will do too. If he's missing me, his mum in the past has encouraged him to draw a little picture. Although I'm gonna lean, I'm gonna lean over and grab this. I mean, it's a little heartbreaking, but as you can see, that's a picture of him. He's drew he drew this picture of him crying, saying, "I am missing you." Hello, and then inside there's it's quite it's probably pretty Freudian, but there's like a whole a whole line of steps up to where I am, and then he he's at the bottom with a little heart shape. But things like that, like, so doing artwork, sending things regularly and just, yeah. And it's constant. It doesn't end. Like it's constantly thinking outside the box. I just started recording um, little MP3 files of me reading him a story from um, a kid's book and sending him those so he can listen to them. Even if he can't get hold of me, he can listen to those. Oh, and then I have an online album. So Google photo album that he can share and look at. I send him, this is a big one, something tangible, a photograph album from our recent trip together. So if we've been you know, the summer holiday, I'll do one for those. I just got a GoPro so we can do videos and I can send him videos that, of stuff we've done together of him and his friends. So yeah, it's just really being creative and consistent and just keep going. Um, and there's always, always finding, you know, new ideas and things like that. Like skateboarding. I took up skateboarding. So when I do see him in the UK, we have an activity together. And then on FaceTime, we play skate, which is a game where, you know, if you, you take turns with trying a trick and if you don't get the trick and the other person does, you get a letter. And the first person who gets the letter, you know, makes the word skate loses. And he loves doing that. It's great. And we have a basement here. So even in the winter, I can go down and do that. You know, so that works really well. We have dance parties. And actually, uh, he will send a, he sent a video of him dancing to do, he'd like a whole routine. He had this whole routine worked out. And it was for his little brother. And then his little brother, I played music and his little brother did a dance video for him. And we sent that. So things like that, because now there's a sibling, you know, we need to, that's part of the attachment in my mind is that, you know, him feeling close to the whole family and feeling a part of us, um, as opposed to, I was always worried he's going to feel left out because, you know, I'm getting all this time with Indy. So sometimes he says, I wish I was Indy, you know, and that breaks my heart a little bit, but then we just have to rally when he's here and have the most intense and amazing time when he, we're together. Yeah, man, those are so many like actionable steps. And one thing that I took from that is like, we just take closeness for granted. Like after all of what you just said, man, like we just, you go through the motions day by day. And like, how often do you actually connect with your kids? I because guarantee from what, you take it, yeah. Yeah, totally take it for granted. From what I'm hearing now, like, man, you have to go so intentionally about this. And you are, which is remarkable. Like you are putting in the work, man. And to be quite honest, like this is making me like almost tear up. Like I feel immense grief and sadness for for you and for him. And how do you how do you deal with that? Like I assume that you probably feel that all the time. So do you feel it daily and sit with it and let it in or like 
What, no. what does that look like for you? No, I don't. I don't. And I've asked, you know, I asked a psychologist about that too. And I think it's the one time I really broke down in tears was before the last appeal. And I think I knew that we were going to lose. Um, and I won't go into that because I try not to in my podcast too, because the whole legal system is, it's a real dark hole. And there's a lot of mm -hmm. bitter dads out there that have lost out. And it's hundred percent. I understand why they would have those negative feelings. So I try not to go there, but yeah, it was a shitty situation. I didn't have a great time as a dad. I felt for sure, but I just, there was something in me. I knew I was going to lose the second time. The first appeal, it was a big win, but yeah, the second time it, so I fell apart. And I feel like in a way that was my release. I was like, that was my huge release of after two years of like, that's it, I've lost. But what happens is you build resilience. And so you could argue maybe you bury it so deep, you know, it's a wound that you're burying deep down and really you need to let it out all the time. But I don't, I genuinely don't feel like that. I sit in a place of very heart centered as, as a parent. Like I'm just, I'm right in my heart here. And I know he feels the same. There's a really great book for anybody that spends time apart from their kids for any length of time called The Invisible String. Um, and it's really aimed at little ones. And the whole story is the fact that, and in this case, it's the mum. I wish that there'd be a few more books where the dad's sort of center stage. And I'm sure it's changing, but, or dad or other parent, I should say, but that there is this string attached between the parent and the child. So no matter where that child is, is that they're, they're still connected you know, with that love piece. Um, and I read, I bought that and I read that to him early on. And that, that was one of the things the professional clinical social worker um, had advised me. So I really lean into that. It's like, and it's interesting. There's this letting go that you do or that I've done in this situation, just letting go as a parent, as opposed to be the hover parent holding on really tight to the, to the kid. I've really let go in a way that I'm trusting the process. I'm going to, and I, to get a little spiritual, but like I'm trusting that the universe is part of, there is some reason this is happening. There is something that he has to learn from this and something I have to learn from it. And I really believe that. I really believe that. Um, so I have a lot of trust now in a way that maybe I wouldn't if the mum was down the road. Maybe I would be over worrying about, well, did he get enough snacks today? Is he like, you know, mm, when he, great. you know, or whatever it is, right? Whatever co-parenting issues that come up. And we had a few, we were pretty good. But I was definitely, I can be Mr. Health and Safety and a bit overzealous because I worked in outdoor education for like 20 years. So I, I know kids. And so, yeah, it's wow. And I haven't thought about that too much, but I have let go. I've let go and I trust and I sit in my heart and I know, and I had some doubts. I had some doubts, but when he first went to the UK, because we were expecting a baby, I didn't see him for eight months, I think. It was a long stretch. And I didn't know what was going to happen. I really didn't. I had a lot of doubt. And I think I was feeling a little bit like a washing machine emotionally. But I had this amazing partner, a new baby. But I just, I guess guilt. Mm -hmm. Even then, when we were in the hospital giving birth, he's on Skype. Like he's there. Not actually during the delivery, but he was there in the <laughs> hospital. I had a picture of him. I didn't think about that. I took a big picture of him from his school. And I took that with with us to the hospital so that when i took pictures i took pictures with the baby with his picture next to it just so that he knew that we, he was with us in our thoughts and he was very much yeah sorry slight so well, where was i going with that so the, my point being is that after that eight months of not seeing him when I, he'd grown which was a shock but it was like no time had passed it was like immediate we were like we just held each other 
and we're right back there. And so that made, and I would had already seen the, spe- the especially the social, uh, clinical social worker and worked on this attached, these attachment pieces that I'm talking about. And then when, after eight months, when I saw him, I was like, wow, yeah, we're connected. That string works. Like, you know, we got it. We got this. We're going to come through it. And so now it's really hard. It is really hard when you go, go time and I get kind of frustrated. The hard thing is the transition because right now it's fine. I, I see him every day on Skype, pretty, sorry, FaceTime pretty much. But the transitions now are the hard pieces. Those are when I get frustrated. And I do have frustrations come up when he is here and he maybe rolls his eyes at me or he doesn't listen or he's being disrespectful in some way. He's actually a really good kid, but he, you know, he's an eight-year-old boy. So those things come up. And when they do, for the first time, actually, this summer, I really did get quite angry a couple of times with him. And, you know, I was just kind of kicking myself, feeling like this isn't me because I'm pretty grounded. I'm pretty calm the way that I deal with kids. I'm consistent. I'm patient. I'm all these things. But yeah, I was just like, man, like, oh, so, so it's in there. There is some stuff in there for sure, but, you know, buried down. But for the most part, focus, I'm very heart-based as we all are with parents, but I have to be quite, I'm really conscious of that's where I hold him in my heart um, and trust the process. He's going to be okay. You know, he's getting a good, 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 good education. He'd get a good education here, but you know, he's in a good school. And yeah, he's kind of in a safe community in that sense, I guess. His mum loves him too. You know, she loves him that much that she fought for him. So in the end, you know, it's two parents that really, really love their kid. And so that love hopefully will just help him get through these difficulties that he's obviously feeling as a, as a young boy to be taken away right. from his dad is, is tough. It's got to be tough. Yeah. No, thank you for sharing all that, man. This is um, the thing that I love most so far is just like, it seems like it would be very hopeful for guys in this situation, that there is a way to build that attachment and that you've proven it. It sounds extremely hopeful because it can, I can only imagine feel hopeless, like everything you want is being taken from you and you're powerless. And so to have that like resource, that book, uh, knowing you can talk to people and get the secure attachment, I highly, highly recommend anyone uh, listening who's in this situation actually take action on that because it sounds like it's been fantastic for you. I want to talk about your heart centeredness. Like, is this something you've always found? Because I see in working with a lot of guys, it's hard for guys to really access their heart. So is this innate? Is this something you've worked on? Oh, that's a good question. Not something I've ever been asked. I don't know if I have an answer to that other than I've always been sort of very passion based in terms of what I do and my choices in life. So and spending tons of time in nature is kind of my thing. And so I think what's helped me to answer this in a roundabout way is finding things in my life that keep me grounded and centered um, in a way that leans me into gratitude as opposed to any other feelings of anger or frustration. And so with that, I would take, yeah, so for example, when I was going through the later stages of or maybe right, right, right in it, the legal battle and the court stuff, I started running. It's not a thing for me. I ski, I climb, I'm active, but I'm not, I've not been like a trainer. I don't go training and I don't go running up mountains to kind of, you know, beat my personal best. But I did start running and spending more time in nature and that really helped. And I think grounding myself in that way probably helped me come around to that heart-centered sort of way of being. Like, so now I have a morning practice. I call it practice. It sounds really all I'm doing is walking the dog, but I'm very intentional with like not checking my phone in the morning, 
It doesn't happen. I'm not perfect. But for the most part, don't touch my phone. I get outside and I connect to nature and sort of everything around me. And I sit in gratitude. And I think that just kind of helps me stay in that in a more positive heart-centered place without really being too intentional about it. Right. Yeah. That was the next question is like, what kind of practices have you got? Because I, I call them practices too. And I think you're exactly right. It's all about the intentionality behind that. Uh, are there other things like gratitude? Do you just think about that? Do you write it down? Do you have like times when you do this? What other things do you use to stay so grounded? Well, funny you say that. Cause I've been thinking actually for the new year, I'm not one for new year's resolutions, but you know, it's just a, it's a point in the year where it's fairly transitional, I guess. But I, I would like to get a book started where I kind of write down gratitudes each day in the morning. Whether I get there or not, I don't know. But like, yeah, I just think the gratitude piece really helps for me. And then you know what, actually, and this is, sorry, this is, I guess, maybe a tangent, but kind of going back to the last thought I was having around how do I stay in the heart-centered place. The other thing for me is the thought, thought is really powerful, like the power of your thought. So what I have focused on, and I just was thinking about this the other day, and I hadn't really put it into thought. But I focus on the feeling that I get when I see him. I focus on the excitement of being together. You know, like I'm going to see him in a month, for example, and we're going to go biking together. And I think about the how I feel when we're doing that activity together. That's just what I'm thinking about. So I'm always thinking about the horizon. I'm always thinking about, I'm not stuck in right now. I try to be present. But when it's tough, I'm just like, well, hang on, I'm going to see him in three months. And oh my God, we're going to be together for like six weeks. We're going to go camping, we're going to do all these things. And I just, I kind of like hold that thought, you know, in me. It's like that desire. So what do I desire? And I think about how that thing makes me feel. And then it's, yeah, it's really about like setting the intention, having, you know, those thoughts of the desire and those positive feelings and things. Like I just try and help that kind of drive me forward as opposed to be stuck in my head with the drama with the crappy stuff that's going on around me. Like I just really, with him, that's where I have to go. I have to be looking at the horizon all the time. Even if the horizon is, you know what? When he's 16, maybe younger, he's probably going to be here. If not, definitely when he's 18. But like he's going to be making choices and coming back here. And so long term, you know, I say this to him too. I'm like, dude, eventually you can make that choice to be here. And so why don't we focus on that? Like, you know, you're at school, you have friends there and you've got friends here and you come back and forth and you get the best of both worlds in a way. And long term, you can choose to be here. So I kind of sit with that in the fact of like, what an amazing life in a way that he has these two worlds. He's got all the history and culture of being close to London and, you know, all the other things in the UK, which, you know, he's got his mom and her family there. My family is spread out a bit more, so he doesn't see them as much. But yeah, and then he gets to be here in the holidays. I mean, he's got a really interesting upbringing and he could go in so many directions when he's older. So yeah, big picture stuff is kind of what, I'm kind of rambling a bit, but it's just the big picture stuff that helps me sort of keep me grounded and stuff, which brings it back to the gratitude. I'm grateful that he's in a safe place and he's in, you know, in a good school and getting a good education. I'm grateful that he's got good friends. I'm grateful for my love with my wife. I'm grateful for my youngest I'm grateful, really grateful for where we live, which is an amazing place given the pandemic. You know, we live pretty remote in a really nice town full of other families. So there's so many things to be grateful for. So, so I'm always focusing really on that. And that does really help. So daily practice, other than that, I have really great intentions, really great intentions to meditate. And I, I am trying. I've just tired of actually making a conscious effort. 
not having a ton of success, but I think it's a practice that I will keep up. My wife is much better at it than me. So I'm trying to figure that out. But otherwise, I have started exercising more regularly again climbing wall in the basement and just doing 20 minutes even of just just simple exercises to warm up a few sort of light weights and things like that but just things to get the blood pumping i find really helps shutting off the phone in the morning as well and having i think actually a morning routine is key for me to make the rest of the day go really smoothly and so it's hard with a young child but i do find if i can just get out with the dog and for 10 20 for 20 minutes let's say and have some silence, but also have an audio book I've been listening to on and off. So that's a good thing too. And that really helps. So those are probably the most basic things. Gratitude, some quiet time in the morning, some exercise some point in the day. And if I don't get that, and sometimes I don't because I'm stuck at the computer and I'm not making time, and I know I could make time, then I don't feel as good in the day. So some exercise and some quiet time are probably a couple of key things. That was a bit of a yeah. ramble. Hope you, you can no, edit that awesome. down a bit. No, no, no. no. <laughs> yeah, I want you to keep going, man. This is uh, super interesting and you're speaking my language. Like I do things in the morning to ensure that my day goes smoothly and I wake up extra early to be sure that I can get that time. Uh, because if I'm not up at, at five or, you know, before, then I, See, I that's don't. That's what you have to it. do. Yeah. 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 And, and I mean, like, every dad's going to get that. For sure. And I, you know, I, I think if I did five o'clock now, I could probably pull it off. Maybe... It, he's up at like 5.30, 5.40. So it's it's tight in the morning. I could do it at five. You're right. But actually, and I am, just because I, I wasn't going to say it, but I, I think I will because why not really? I think part of like over the last couple of years too, I've gradually, and it's more this year, become more, I've always been spiritual, not religious. So I believe there's something greater out there and you know bigger in the universe that I don't understand and all these things. But I've never really brought it into anything sort of tangible but I've been finding it really interesting to sort of, so this morning, for example, I was listening to an audio book about shamanic dreaming, Robert Moss. It's super interesting. So I'm kind of found myself leaning more into the sort of some of the spiritual YouTubes and podcasts and things like YouTube channels and podcasts and things, because, um, yeah, just to kind of understand what, what the hell is the meaning of all this, you know, like I was doing everything as a right as a dad, I would say. You know, there was no drugs, there's no drinking, there wasn't any cheating or that, you know, I was doing everything right. I had a stable job, but yeah, I just got, anyway, as a dad, I felt like I was doing everything right. I was doing the nurturing, but I was trying to earn money too. And so I was just, I was kind of being pulled in the nurturing kind of direction. I was being pulled in the other direction of like, go and earn money, be the breadwinner. And yeah, I just felt I was doing everything right. So I was like, that's the one piece that I get confused. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. I thought that was what I was meant to do. Like, what is my role as a dad? And so that's where I've been, yeah, really interested to lean into the spiritual, some spiritual aspects a little bit, you know, so reading some more sort of slightly mind altering books about, you know, like dreams. The one this morning was about dreams and how we relate to our dreams and stuff. So yeah, so that's the one thing I would say is a benefit. Um, not a benefit. It's not a benefit that my kid's far away, but I guess like a positive outcome would be, yeah, yeah I'm kind of getting more in touch you know, with myself on a deeper level. And it's not not for survival, just really out of interest. You know, I like growing. That's what I've realized as a dad. I like growth. And the growth, I include skateboarding. Too many people say I'm too old to skateboard. Rubbish. Um, you don't have to, to be doing anything epic on a skateboard. But like, it could be that. It could be meditation. I just love learning and growth. And I think that as a parent for me is, that's part of my parenting, is me continuing to grow. 
and learn new things, whether it be spiritual stuff, skateboarding. I got a downhill mountain bike, which I've never done before. So started that this year. I'm like, bring it on. Like, I love that part of being a parent. Yeah. And that's such an important point because we talk about like the the emotional growth, the mental health growth on this podcast a lot, a little bit of the spiritual growth, but just like having that growth mindset that you can learn anything, you can get over any obstacle. I have seen some people just get in this like, okay, I've got kids now, like inertia just takes over and you don't do anything new. You like lose contact with your spouse and suddenly 20 years later, they moved out and you're like, what, what is my life even? Like, don't forget your life in this all. And one of the greatest things that I like to tell guys is like, yeah, it's for your kids. All this work we do is for our kids. Like I was triggered by my kids so much when they were young that like I needed to become a better dad because I was so terrible. And like now my life is better. I hated feeling like garbage and now I feel great. And now I do cool stuff and now I learn all the time. So don't forget yourself in all of this, dads. Like it's not selfish to do self-care. It's selfless when you got a family because imagine you show up with like an empty cup. Oh, like what a brutal person you must be to be around if you don't do anything for yourself. Um, I was going to ask you about like, have you ever done breath work before? Funny you say that. My, um, we were randomly watching um, Aubrey someone on the Aubrey YouTube. Aubrey yeah. That's kind of like, we don't really what We kind of pick and choose. Our te- on television, our, it's YouTube. That's what we, that's what we watch. Yeah. So we just kind of, so we found this one. He was talking to this, um, I think, Kiwi couple about breath work. And my wife has ex- some experience with it. Um, and even uh, not very long ago, actually, she was in a bit of a funk. I think just early pregnancy um you know it's tough right she's super tired we can't go and do a lot of the activities she feels sick so she did some breath work and it really shifted things for her and so i'm interested to look into it nice okay well man if you ever want to explore that i uh am a breathwork facilitator i would love to guide you through that oh, if cool. it's interesting very cool uh, yeah, that yeah. has been one of the things on my sort of so-called spiritual journey um, that's really sort of helped me figure things out. And I'd love to sort of know more about that. Just maybe briefly, I don't know, I've got some some more questions, but this sort of piqued my interest, the spirituality piece, because I as well have been uh, for a long time, like just not even spiritual at all. Like, oh, that's stupid. Why would you need, like, I always thought people who were spiritual, especially religious, were like too scared to face death. Like, oh, come on, you're just gonna die and everyone's gonna die. Like, get over it, man. Like, don't be so weak. And I have been realizing that like there's so much more that we are connected to, whether it's God, whether it's the universe, whether it's spirit, when you can tap into things like the breath, like intention, like nature for me has been a huge one. Um, Just like allowing mother earth, if you will, to hold many of my, my sorrows, my demons, and just like really leaning into just making it intentional to like, I touch trees. When we go on walks, like I'll just put my hand on a tree and breathe that tree in. And that's spiritual to me. So like what else, where have you gone on this journey? Is it like brand new? How do you see spirituality? And like, what is it doing for you as a dad? Ooh, ooh, good one. Like it. <laughs> um, well, I could go deep or I could keep it on the shallow. Let's, um, let's go deep. Actually, let's go wherever you want to go, but bring it, man. <laughs> Interesting. So well, I'm going to go, let's, I'll go start with the podcast a little bit because I realized that I'd overcome a huge challenge where so many dads that I hear about, you know, they kind of drift or they give up because the court's not being favorable to them. And I realized that I was like, you know what? I got to turn everything I've experiencing into like a positive. So by sharing 
my experiences. So hence the podcast Dad Without Borders. I realized I was doing a podcast for work and I realized how easy it was pretty much to do it. I had to learn, you know, definitely it was a process to learn and come up with um, the tools, but I managed it. It was very easy, really. Podcast starts and yeah, I'm feeling more driven by this purpose. And then, and I shared this on a podcast recently, actually, uh, but then I ended up in, um, it's just fun to share, I guess. There's a Netflix show called Surviving Death. I watched that. And then the next day, there was um, a workshop I was running and there was a lady in it who says, I'm a psychic medium. And I was like, no, you're a psychic medium. Here she was in my workshop that I'm running. And I just got really taken in by the idea of having a psychic reading. And so two weeks later, I couldn't resist. And so I had, I ended up setting up this psychic reading, which was about an hour long and just blew my mind. Now, you don't have to be spiritual or whatever to believe in it. Or, you know, for some people it might be kind of crazy or, you know, maybe just a bit of fun, but I actually got really into it. And I was like, wow, there is, I just felt that I was tapping into something that I wanted to find out more about, I guess. So it's the psychic reading that sort of led me on this journey of really understanding in a way too that, you know, your son's meant to be where he is right now and you're meant to be where you are right now. And this is just part of the tapestry of life um, and the learning that you've got to do um, in your time right now on earth. Um, you know, I don't know what comes next, you know, I've got some ideas, but it was really interesting to have a psychic reader. And in a way it was like a life coach. And it was, what was incredible was I was quite scared by the idea. Um, but I was really curious and I do like to look at life in that way of being curious. Um, I don't know everything and there's always something else to learn. And somebody like that comes along who's also an elder. I would say I would see as an elder, you know, she's, hopefully she's in her sixties. I feel I'm not aging her there, but yeah, I was like, you know what? I just want to learn. I want to learn about what you're doing and what these psychic readings are. And it actually had a huge energy shift for me. I was in a bit of a funk. It was COVID. It still is COVID. We can't get away from it. It seems. <laughs> and so there was, there was a delay in me seeing my boy. It's happened a couple of times where we haven't been able to see each other. And so that was kind of getting tiring for me. I was pretty exhausted by that. The job I was in at the time, great job, tons of flexibility, but it, I knew it wasn't my path. I knew it wasn't my thing that I should be doing long-term and I didn't know what to do about it. So I went to the psychic reader and I, with that energy shift and her kind of, and I won't go too into that detail of the reading, but you know, I could just kind of see a different way and I could, un I started to just be open to thinking, well, maybe this is just part of his learning and his growth. And you know, this is going to create him to be the, you know, the adult, the man, that he's going to be, um, to be gender specific, but you know, that seems to be the way things are going. Um, but yeah, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, just like, it's going to make him the person he's going to become. And so with that, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I could go on and on about the spiritual stuff because it is, I've had, <laughs> I've had like three other readings since then as well, which have, you know, equally been as fascinating and mind expanding in a way. But bringing it back to the fatherhood stuff, yeah, it's just kind of understanding, you know what, there is a big picture. Every kid has a gift. I can't control everything that happens to my kid and how this, so I have to trust the process. And so that's been the biggest piece coming back from me from the psychic reading is like, trust the process. You know, there is a reason that all these things are happening. And sometimes if you really think about it, you can look back and, 
and realize that actually certain things and certain people in your life had to come into your life for you to get where you are now, hopefully for, and that's a positive thing, but yeah, so it's a bit of a ramble, but it's so, yeah, it's also new to me this year of diving into this stuff and the meditation and, you know, the idea of there being something bigger that we don't know. And I really, yeah, I just want to, you know, whether it be learning about dream stuff, which is the book I was reading right now this morning about, you know, how we interact with our dreams. Yeah. I just think it's really fascinating and fun. And I think, yeah, kind of that kind of growth helps me again, just get through every day that he's away. Yeah, man, that's powerful stuff. And like this whole thing for me has been about surrender in many ways. Um, just like surrendering to, I don't have control over my own life over, especially over the lives of my kids. One thing I realize is like, I want to be controlling because I have this like outcome that I want them to get. And not that like, I want them to be a doctor. I just like, I really want them to be able to like love openly. I want them to be resilient. I want them to be hardworking. I want them to like live the life they want. And when I screw up, I'm like, oh no, like here's a wound they're going to have to deal with. And then I remember like I had all these wounds. I had like a much uh, more challenging childhood than my children have. And I got through it. Like everyone alive today was once a child who has got through their stuff to some degree or another. So I have to surrender. And the spiritual thing has also allowed me to believe that like we're all connected. Like we are just like, I don't know. I, I see it sometimes as like beams of light. We're all these beams of light emanating from this source. There are very real other sort of stage of states of consciousness in dreaming. There are some cultures who like put as much emphasis on dreaming as the waking world because it's just two sides of the same coin. Uh, psychedelics, breath work, all of these things give you an insight in the fact that like there's another way to experience reality, <laughs> you know, and that, that's kind of scary. Cause like, what if you fall into one and you can never get out? I sometimes think about that, <laughs> but, uh, that's, that's terrifying. Neither here nor there, but, uh, it does allow me to feel connected. You know, I'm just like one dot on this planet, same as everyone else. And instead of feeling lonely, I just feel like way more connected to humans. So yeah, yeah. thanks for going there, man. I mean, the invisible, the invisible string, that book in a way, you know, brings me back to that on a, on a deeper level. Now I look at that and I'm like, yeah, we are actually connected. You know, I really feel that. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Yeah, I, well, you know, I'll go there right now because um, maybe that's your audience. I don't really know who your audience is. You know, just even the other day, I had another reading, which was a whole other, it was a different um, different reader, I guess you could say, or seer or, you know, whatever. Really incredible. Like just, yeah, huge, huge. It was just the stuff that was coming out. But what one of the things came out, came out um, and you can take this with a grain of salt, depending on who you are and what you believe, but, you know, one thing that came out was like, you know what, you're a healer and you should do some shamanic journeying work. And so within two days, her friend, who's this much older guy, who's like, you know, late 70s, came over to my house and was like, yeah, um, let's talk about this. And so that's something that I'm talking about doing with him in the new year is um, doing a couple of long sessions to learn about shamanic journeying. Because again, why not? Like if that's gonna fall if that's gonna fall on my lap like that, and this person within two days is gonna be in my house, I'm like, oh, this is interesting. Okay, this is fun. If it involves dream work, I've always dreamed a lot, so that that sounds yeah like something I want to explore. Hence the book I was listening to this morning as I was going for a walk in the woods. So yeah, I love it. I love all that connection, and I, you know, what I've gained as I've got older, because I'm an older dad. I'm in my forties. It's just being open to everything like really being open to everything and just, yeah. And just not shutting the, shutting down these ideas that probably a few years ago I would have. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and just for anybody listening who's like, you know, healing work and spirituality and stuff like just, just chill, keep listening. Okay. Like your work in this, if this is triggering to you is to ask why, and then to get curious. And it could simply be that you think it's stupid and then like, you're never going to listen again. And, and that's fine. I don't want you to listen if that's you. Uh, on the other hand, like maybe there's a block there. And I always say this in men's work or in men's group, like the process is whatever you take of it. So whatever your judgments are right now, like that's your process. Look into that positive or negative, whatever they are, and do some work around that, whatever that looks like. I want to ask you about the difference between becoming a dad the first time and you've now got a third on the way. Has there been like a big shift in how you prepare? Are you a different person as a dad? What does that look like? Dude, it's huge. I mean, I could, with the second child coming, I could then step back a bit and see my wife um, work through it all in the way that I kind of did in a different way. She's mom and I'm dad. Like there's definitely some differences in how, you know, she's going, you know, through childbirth and breastfeeding and all the rest of it. But there was still that shift that I saw her going through and she, she would say this openly, which is why I'm okay saying, sharing it. But yeah, it was just the first time I was on eggshells. I was like working overtime to like soothe my kid i wouldn't want him to cry out at all so i was like just like as soon as i hear him stir i'd sprint across the cabin that we lived in to like soothe him in some way i was probably trying to get over involved in the nurturing of the child at the time so i just really wanted to be involved in the sleeping routines and things just overthinking everything overthinking everything it was a big big deal so the second one comes along i feel much calmer i felt much more I found it much easier to be in that supportive role. I found that I was more trusting, which comes back a lot for my parenting is the trust that I have in the process. But yeah, he misses a nap. He's going to be okay. Now, if she was the other way around and she was the one being really laid back, I'd probably be naturally the one that was a bit more on edge. But it, you know, it worked out the way that I was kind of the rock. I was like, no, no, trust the process. I've been through this before. And yeah, and probably, and also stepping back and giving her more space as the mum to figure things out in the way that she wanted to because i can be a bit ocd and i can be a bit you know i don't have a condition by the way but you know i can be a bit ocd so yeah so giving the mum a bit more space i think to figure things out which i didn't the first time so much i really wanted to be in there all the time and we kept clashing over sleeping routines and patterns and things mm. and when we did it this time if we would have a clash i'll just back off so i ended up maybe sometimes backing off too much in a way third one's coming along i'm not even thinking about the birth i'm like <laughs> all right i've got two that are alive i think this third one's gonna make it um yeah it's really different i and you know what the first time around too i was like who the hell am i who am i now i've been living in the back of a van climbing i've been running my own tour guide company and so on like i was just kind of free spirit really in a way seasonal worker classic part of the world yeah but yeah so the, so then the kid comes along and i'm like oh who out and i didn't want to be you know i got great parents but i didn't want to be my dad i didn't want to be that not workaholic but you know that kind of old school kind of parent this the breadwinner you don't see him much when you do he's at the weekends he's cutting the lawn washing the car i wanted to be right in there engaged and so for me it was yeah, it was really that push and pull between the nurturing kind of dad and the old school breadwinner dad. And I didn't know how to reconcile the two, actually. And that was a big. And then when I was co-parenting, when the mum left, we were not getting on. And, you know, eventually she left. And yeah, I was like, okay, this is me. I'm a single parent. It's on. Like, so that just defined me. 
you know, all I was doing was working and then being a dad. And when I didn't have him, I was generally working because I made sure that when I had him in the week, that was the time I had off work. So I was just, that was me. I was just me and my kid pretty much. And finding it hard to reach out to other dads and not knowing how as well. Right. Have you got better at that? Ooh, yes. Cause I got, yes. Cause I have a podcast. <laughs> right. That's it. Like, honestly, that's me too. Yeah. Honestly. Uh, so the, the short answer is no. And I'm super social. Like I loved, you know, I love this. Like if you were living down the road and you were like, let's go grab a coffee. Yeah. hundred percent. But in terms of reaching out to find support, and I'm also naturally a bit of a lone wolf. So for me to re-energize, I need time on my own in nature or, you know, skiing, climbing, doing something. But yeah, I do like my time alone. So it's, for me, it's hard to find the time to, to find support. And less options available. I think it's getting better. I think there's more dad groups now. There are in this local area. But still, my choice is it to sit in front in a circle and talk about my feelings. No, I'd rather do it one-on-one, to be honest. But dads aren't as good at being receptive to that, I find. Tell them, let's go skateboarding or let's go skiing. Yeah, sure. What time tomorrow? Tell them, can we go and talk about our feelings down by the river? Probably not going to make time for it. <laughs> you got to sell it a little bit better than that. <laughs> I know, right? I yeah, think that's, that's nice. Walk yeah. down by the river. Come on. Yeah, yeah, me that. too. I, but I, no, I, hear to, I hear you. Yeah, I was talking to David um, on this podcast recently, David Stegman, who I think probably lives up in your neck of the woods. And one of the things he said was that all men crave deep connection, closeness, vulnerability. And yet it's simply because they they don't do it simply because nobody ever offers them an invitation. So we all crave this deep connection, but there's no invitation for men. And I one of the things he said, which was like kind of like mind blowing to me was like, if you just go do what you said, which is like hang out, do sports, that kind of thing, you could just start the conversation with like five minutes, be like, hey man, how are you doing? What's real for you right now? You want to just take like five minutes to check in and just having that and then go do your thing. It's rather than like, oh, let's go by the river. We can hold hands, like, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's it's opening that door maybe for conversations while you're still doing other things. So I know that if you've been listening to the podcast, you heard that already, uh, but I just thought that was like such a cool idea to almost like hack in ways to do that. Yeah, and hundred percent, I talked to a psychologist about this and it's like this, it, you know, it's a male psychology thing where, yeah, we'll talk when we're rubbing shoulders, doing something, chopping wood or, you know, sitting on the ski lift and things like that. But actually like sitting down having that face to face, it's a little bit too open for us in a way. And, you know, it's like, it's almost like, and this has come up in my podcast, dealing with teenagers, driving them in a car when they're looking straight forward, they don't have to be engaged, looking straight at you in that way. Yes. It's, it feels safer for them. I think with dads, I find on the skin track when you're hiking up a mountain with skis um, is what I mean by skin track. Yeah, I've had some of the best conversations because, again, you're not facing me. It's like it's kind of, you know, you're just kind of rubbing shoulder to shoulder and it seems to be more a comfortable thing. The skate park can be good. I do do that in the skate park um, because when I know of a dad, and I do know a dad who's had a baby recently, um, was it last year? I forget. But anyway, I made a point of reaching out. And he's a skater. So occasionally we would go to the skate park and yeah, we'll just check in. Even if it's him going, man, it is intense. It is crazy. But just for him to hear someone like me say, yep, been there. I'm in the second round of that. And I totally hear what, you know, I, I can empathize. Like I know, I know, I know the feels. So that's yeah. what I try and do. So I think, yeah, I agree with that. Like find the activity and make sure you open the door to that conversation even a little bit. Because you open it a crack and generally, 
you know, they beat the door, you know, they push that door wide open, I find. <laughs> yeah, you know, absolutely. Like I, uh, I made a decision when I joined my first men's group a few years ago. It's like, I'm just going to go all out. Like I've been doing this work by myself for like five or six years now. And I just want this so badly that I don't give a shit. You know, like, come at me. You think I'm a loser? You think I'm too open? Like, I don't care. And so I did that. And it was amazing how people responded. It's like, oh, what a relief. Like, let's go deep now. Okay, thank goodness. And it does like give them permission. And, you know, some guys aren't ready for that. And that's cool because we've got a long history of telling men that they're weak for having feelings. We're working on that day by day. But I love what you did, which is just like extending. Hey, dude, how you doing? Okay. Yeah, I, I totally get that. I empathize. And sometimes that's all we need. It's like, oh, thank God we're not alone. So that's the point of this podcast. And and I'll bring that back to being a dad too with the kid and my relationship with him. I'm very open about my feelings in terms of, dude, I recognize that I was feeling really angry right then. I'm really sorry about that. But the the reason I'm feeling that is because I feel hurt right now that this is the way, you know, just very open in that way and talking things through so that he knows. And I'm not like, I'm someone who will tear up at like a Disney movie or an, even an advert, you know, an advert for the Olympics when they show some sort of like moving moment. I'm like, yeah. I'm that guy that I'll be, I'll be kind of wiping the tears away, but I'm not a crier as such. I can feel emotional, but I'm not an open crier. So I'm very conscious to, to show that emotion to my son too, in a way that as he's growing up, he understands that it is okay to be open and, and sensitive and it's okay to be sensitive. And, you know, and he, he gets like that. Like, he, you know, he is a very sensitive kid. And so I'm trying to encourage that so he doesn't build a shield because he's been taken away, you know. And it, and I try, I always, I never want to throw the mum under the bus. She did what she thought was best for her, and I get that. Um, but in that process, of course, I don't want him to build that shield. I want him to keep open and to, like, lean into the emotions in a way that when he's a dad himself, maybe, or maybe he isn't a dad, but certainly when he's an adult, he can support people around him no matter what gender to, yeah, to be the, to be that way. Because I think it is so important that we are. We go through so much these days. This Life's not easy, not being easy with this pandemic. So it's yeah. like, don't shield it. Like, dude, if you feel emotional, like he did the other day, he has COVID, his flight's now delayed. He's still going to get here for Christmas. But initially, man, he was about to lose it. And I was like, dude, it's cool. Like, you know, and it's hard, but you want you want to support that emotion. And I have cried in front of him. Um, he kind of broke down once uh, the day before he was going to leave after his summer trip here. It was a couple of years ago. And he could feel my voice breaking because I was really overcome with like the fact that he was breaking down and it was so sad. And Oh, man, tough. Next day, you're driving him to the airport and flying him back to the UK to not see him for months. So it's, I had that moment and he, gr- he goes and reaches for my sunglasses to pull them off to see me crying. He's like, mm. as if like, man, it's okay to cry kind of thing is that's how I, yeah, that's how I sort of read that situation. And I was like, yeah, it's, it's a sad thing, buddy, but, it, and it's okay to have those emotions, but yeah. This has been a, a ton of fun. And I, I I wish we had hours and hours because I want to talk to you about living in a cabin. I want to talk to you about deleting Facebook because I heard you say something about that. I want to talk to you about like co-regulating with, with young kids. Um, and we're at the top of the hour now. So I'm going to let you go. But Blue, where can people find more about you, Dad Without Borders and all that kind of stuff? So yeah, my main outlet is Dad Without Borders. So dadwithoutborders.com is the site. Um, you can find it on Apple and all the main Apple, Spotify, all those places. Um, I'm most active on Instagram. I quite enjoy Instagram for sharing stories and little short clips and feelings and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So 
that again it's dad without borders um you can find us on instagram too but yeah check it out um it's a good show but yeah Yeah, it's a good show it's really an opportunity for me to share as much as I can, often through conversation, but with other dads. But yeah, like my experience being a long distance parent and showing that you can do it. If you, even if you're a worker working on the oil rigs, um, a forestry worker working away from home, if you're, you know, there's so many different situations. It could be mums too. But yeah, that's really, that's sort of the inspiration from it is like overcoming that long distance piece and maintaining a really strong, bond with your family yeah i'm inspired by you and i got my three kids who come home after school every day so yeah thank you for sharing so vulnerably and so deeply man this has been a pleasure yeah always a pleasure man to talk about all these parenting journeys no great that's it for this episode thank you so much much for listening. It means the world. To find out more about everything that we talked about in the episode today, including show notes, resources, and links to subscribe, leave a review, work with us, go to dad.work slash pod. That's D-A-D dot W-O-R-K slash P-O-D. Type that into your browser, just like a normal URL, dad.work slash pod. You'll find everything there you need to become a better man, a better partner, and a better father. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.